the 15, the 10, he's got speed. He's going to the end zone. Touchdown, MSU. Dawson, out to Harris for a three ball. He got it. Kennedy looking, center shot. The Spartans are on their way to a win in the Rose Bowl. Completion. Live from Impact Studios, the only sports show from MSU campus. This is The Pack. And your host, Fino. That is right. Your host, Fino, alongside. Welcome to the Pack. Aloha and mahalo for listening here on WDBM Impact Radio. 88.9 FM or 88.9 FM, I'll reiterate again, is a good, good August 18th evening in summer as the summer is windling down. Folks are starting to get back in the 517 mid-Michigan area for another academic year. And it's good to have everyone back in the area for listening. And again, mahalo for listening on the Pack. Your host, Fino, taking you all the way to the 8 o'clock hour. And we have a big show planned today. That's right, we do. Talking a little Detroit Tigers action. The Tigers are slipping. They're falling. They're one and a half games back behind the Royals. We'll talk about their woes. Is Brad Osmus equipped to dealing with these growing pains going through the season? We'll talk about Brad Osmus managing woes because guess what? There's a lot of those folks. There really is. We'll talk a little bit about the Notre Dame academic scandal. Brian Kelly is in on the mist yet again. Four players being suspended from Notre Dame. Indefinitely, really. Or basically dismissed from the program. But we'll call it indefinitely because you never know. Notre Dame might bring them back. You never know with the NCAA. So Notre Dame basically dismissing four starters from their squad. That is something we will look into as well coming off the suspension of their quarterback last season. Coming off a national title. Quarterback Golson, so we'll talk about that as well. And we'll wrap up the show with a little Lions preseason talk. What to come out of that second game against Oakland? Something pretty big, in my opinion. Johnny Manziel, Oakland Raiders. They come in, and we discuss about the Lions. Dan Orlovsky actually looked like a relevant quarterback, and I say that with such praise and regard because in this first game, he looked almost as bad as Eli Manning did in his second preseason game. Eli Manning going one for seven for seven yards passing. Unbelievable. With that further ado, we bring in the panel of Faith Krogalecki. Faith, how are you, dear? I'm doing wonderful. How are you doing? Not too bad, Faith. And it's good to be debating with you and embracing the Spartan debate on the pact with you. As always. Yeah, as always, <laughs> right? And it's going to be a fiery and good show. Passionate, some good issues. So good to have you on board. Thank you. And the guy behind the glass, as always, who really makes it happen is Jonathan Yales. Johnny Yales with us yet again, the producer that really is magic in a bottle. John, good to see you. What an intro, jeez. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right? You like the introduction. You know, some people said, I got this a lot after I was basically detained at LaGuardia Airport today, uh, that, you know what, Fino, I love your introductions of your panelists and your producers and I, you know what? I'll try to make it even more special each week for the listeners. So, yeah, uh, pretty interesting story. I'm coming back into the mid-Michigan area today, and I left my carry-on luggage, unbelievably speaking, right outside of the security. So I'm heading to the gate, and, you know, I never travel with carry-on luggage fit. I always check it in or carry it in my backpack or whatnot. And I'll bring my laptop with me wherever I go, headphones, listening to some WDBM stuff. But lo and behold, I'm about to board the plane and check it. I don't have my bag with me. So I'm like, what gives? So then I realized that I most likely left it at security. I went to buy a, buy a bottle of Fiji water. Love Fiji. <laughs> and I'm like, where is my bag? So I'm running back frantically to the security. And there's bomb squad around my bag. There's three TSA officers, a hat, two hazmat, some bomb squad, and some police officers. And I'm like, this is my bag. They're dabbing. You know when they, they yep. do the, the hand, the dab? They're dabbing all my clothes. And they're pulling up my briefs, my my Calvin Klein like, black <laughs> briefs. They're just carrying it like with by the, the tips of your fingers, and just like looking at it like a dog just chewed it. I'm like, can you put that away? People are looking at this. I'm <laughs> so embarrassing. But anyway, so I got my bag. I made it here. So I'm spending my beautiful Monday evenings with you two yet again. So. <laughs> Quite the introduction, John, but that's how I got here. That's my story right now. Number to call in, 
888-382-3893 is our number. Feel free to call in. John Yales will field all your calls to embrace the Spartan debate with us. Again, we know David the Fever is listening all the way from Beret, Ohio. So shout out to David for always being a frequent listener on WDBM Impact Radio. Uh, the Pact appreciates your support, and we know uh, you are a big Impact alumni, so thank you once again. Faith, without further ado, let's bring in our first topic here, and I think it's a big one. And we're talking about the Detroit Tigers, and the Tigers really are slipping up. Now they are in second place, 66-56, and 56, one and a half games back, sitting at a win percentage of 5-4-1. And at home, to me, they were four of their last, they won four of their last ten not a too impressive, but they still have a positive run differential, plus 34. So is it really panic time? I understand that Kansas City sitting 13 games above 500, 68 and 55. Is this reason to panic? If you're a Tigers fan now, mid-August, 13 days away from the waiver trade deadline, you need to make another move? I mean, I don't know about making another move, but I'm definitely concerned for the Tigers. I mean, this is the first day off for the Tigers in the month of August. That's ending in a 31-game stretch for 31 days. And the Tigers went 13-18 and 18 during this last last month, and they've been outscored 135-119. to 119. So, I mean, obviously you can see the numbers aren't there for the Tigers right now. It's really not impressive, but for what it's worth, ESPN.com playoff prediction. They do like a POFF thing. It's like your percentage that your team will make the playoffs. Well, a couple months ago, the Tigers were sitting at a very handsome 82%. Two months ago, to be exact. Right now, what's that percentage at? I don't know if you guys have checked it out. Any guess, John? It's got to be like 60. 42.8%. Oh, wow. I wanted to say 40, but. 42.8% is their chance of making the playoffs. And it's slowly dwindling. It's slowly dwindling, and I'll tell you why. Because really, the AL West is so competitive, you have three teams in that division that have a percentage of 70% or more of making the playoffs, according to ESPN.com. You have Seattle, who basically cut through Detroit this weekend. I mean, 8-1 to one was yesterday. It did not look good for Detroit this weekend. And if that is every indication of how they're playing against playoff teams, John, a team that is fifth in the major league in runs, second in the majors in batting average, second, or fifth rather, in on-base percentage, and second in slugging percentage, you would not imagine that. That this team is struggling so mightily. And they just really, in my opinion, John, the, I mean... Seattle came in and really took it to the chin of Detroit. Well, if you just look at their record, like it's not a slump anymore. It's been two and a half months of mediocre play. They were fourteen and thirteen in June, thirteen and thirteen in July, and they're eight and nine in August. So that's that's not a slump. That's a mediocre team. That's an under um, achieving team. Yeah, and that's the bigger issue. It's it's not a slump anymore. This team doesn't know how to win. I don't know if it's osmus. I don't know if it's injuries or what. But well, it's obviously can... a combination of everything. Yeah, I definitely think it's injuries. That's one thing. I think, you know, the starting lineup has been – they've been run through. That You had that one game that was 19 innings. So a lot of these guys are playing a lot. You've got guys who are injured. I mean, like you said, you brought up they're 8-9 and nine right now in August, and they have a run differential of negative four. It's not, I think it's offense, in personally. August. Yeah, yeah in I August. mean, yeah, there's no doubt about it. And After the season, they're sitting at plus 34. And a couple of months ago, they were not plus 34. I believe they were about plus 50-something, plus 60. So they were much higher. So they are dwindling, as John said. This is not a slump anymore. This is just a team playing terrible, terrible baseball. And for people that say, you know, Fino, you're overreacting. They did not look bad against Seattle. That one game on Friday night that Paxson got the win, Porcello gets the loss. They lose 7-2. Yes, on Saturday, Price gets you a win, and Joe Nathan gets you a save. But regardless, on Sunday, yesterday, they lose 8-1 again. So in those two losses, they are outscored 15-3. They are, that, that is not good by any stretch of the imagination. And against teams that are playoff caliber, you look at the Yankees, they lose 3-4 out of four to the Yankees. Now, I understand the Yankees are not in the playoffs, but they're a playoff caliber team. Toronto, they lose 2 out of 3. Playoff caliber team. Someone like Pittsburgh, they split with. Playoff caliber team. Seattle, two, they lose 2 out of 3. A playoff caliber team. And teams, I mean, go up to July. Angels, they lose 3 out of 4. They're losing 2 out of 3 to the White Sox. Yeah, you know, good for them. They're sweeping Colorado in the beginning of August when it matters. But you know what? They're not, they're not winning the games that they should. And they're really losing the games that they should win. So to me, the Tigers have it all backwards, and I think it's two reasons. I'm curious to know what you guys think. 
A, I think Brad Ausmus is getting overexposed. But it's not reason to panic because this guy has never had any managerial experience. He is working through the kinks as the season goes along. So to, with that being said, going into the season, I knew Brad Ausmus Brad wasn't going to be you know, a Bobby Cox. He wasn't going to be a Tony LaRussa. He wasn't going to be a Joe Torre. You know that going in. People forget. Joe Torre used to be a terrible manager. Terrible manager. Comes to the Yankees. He figures it out after he gets some experience. To me, Brad Osmith is going to get through some of this. But it's going to be a work in progress. So in my opinion, if you're going to blame Brad Osmith for this disaster that has been Detroit ever since May... Don't blame it. I don't want to hear it. Don't even bother. Because in my opinion, this is what you signed up for. You signed up for a manager with zero experience that you will work through the growing pains with. But do you blame Dombrowski for bringing in that type of manager at that point? Because, yes, Al Smith might turn out to be a great manager after he works through it. But the Tigers, everyone knows, even management knows, that we're not in it for 15 years or whatever. We're not trying to build this guy. We're not a rebuilding program. We brought him in to win a World Series in a way. Uh we knew it was somewhat unrealistic and maybe it's going to be harder than we thought, so we should kind of see this, saw some of this coming, but it's also like, well, why didn't we just go get someone who had some experience and maybe could have managed the talent that we have? Because there's no question we have talent, and now it's coming, is it Osmus who's not managing this talent correctly, or is it just flukes where everyone's adding up and no one's having a great year at this time and they'll come around and it'll all work itself out? You know, that's a good point, John, and I never really thought about it like that. But I'm not going to blame Dombrowski. And if you did have, if I had to, if you said to me, you know, you must blame someone, I would tell you Dave Dombrowski is the one to blame. But I don't think that's fair because I legitimately think bringing in a rookie manager is what this group needed. And there's been a lot of managers that have not had managerial success and have won. Mike Matheny, St. Louis is a perfect example. No managerial experience, was a catcher. And, you know, catchers historically make great managers Joe Torre, Mike Matheny. You know, Joe Girardi. I'm just free-balling off the t- tippy-tippy top of my head managers that caught that are great managers. So, in my opinion, if you had to blame someone, you blame Dame Dombrowski. But I thought bringing in, he probably thought bringing in a young guy was what this core needed. But, Joe, you know, he's going to make mistakes. A lot of managers don't come in and think they're going to be the next great manager. I understand that Joe Girardi came in. In 2009, and won a World Series in his first year. Mike Matheny did something like that, if I can believe. So Dave Dombrowski is looking. He's like, hey, it's been done. Why can't we do it? So I can't fault him for that. And I don't think I can fault him either. I mean, Dombrowski brought Osmus in. You know, Osmus was a former player. He had a great knowledge of the game. I mean, granted, no coaching experience. And there have been things that have fallen on Osmus's shoulders. Like, he's pretty adamant about Joe Nathan closing. But right now, Joe Nathan has been struggling extremely and he's third in the league for blown saves with six so he's pretty adamant about these you know things that other coaches would pull they'd pull joe nathan yeah there's no doubt about it and i stand corrected though because joe i I keep forgetting this joe girardi managed with the marlins in 2006 and one manager of the year but i keep forgetting that and the only reason why i keep forgetting that is because jeffrey laurie the marlins owner and girardi got into a fight he's actually the only manager to be fired coming off a manager of the year. So Girardi had some experience, but not with that caliber. So based on what Faith is saying and what you're saying, John, is it legitimate to blame him? I don't think so. I'm curious to know, are you blaming this guy? No, it's a combination of blaming the guy who put him in place too because – like I said, when they hired a guy who had no experience, you somewhat expect there's going to be these little times where maybe everything doesn't work out, he's not able to rally the troops and all that, but it's also – he's also in that position with all that talent, and if he can't put it together, he was hired to do that, so he needs to be held accountable somewhat. I I don't think he's here next year. You think they're going to fire him? Yeah. I don't think we'll make the playoffs. I think the Royals are going to do it. We won't make the playoffs. It'll be a massive just collapse, and you have to fire him. Wow. So you're you're predicting Brad Ausmus to be fired? Yeah. No way. (laughs) If we don't make the playoffs, what do you do? You have to blame someone. Yeah, but I, that, that's the problem with Detroit. And they would go back, they're they going to go back no. and think, we shouldn't have gone with a young guy yet, 
because if you keep going with Osmus, then you're just going to keep saying we're going to be good in a couple of years. And Miguel is, Cabrera won't be here. Verlander's going to be gone. Scherzer's going to be gone. No, they're all going to be here. Because everyone all, will be mediocre. The only, the only one that's not going to be here is Max Scherzer. Max Scherzer will leave and he'll be But I, I mean they won't be in their prime. Everyone knows this was the year or even next year is the year. And that's kind of – that's your window, realistic Detroit's window. window is two years. I mean, I think I could see them doing it next year as well. Let me ask you this, Faith. Do you think they fire Brad Ausmus if they don't make the playoffs? That's a hard question. I don't think they will, though. Neither I think we're going to give but... kind of the benefit of the doubt. Like, it was his first year, kind of broke him in, got to know the team, got to know what a coach, you know, being a coach was like. That would be, yeah, I agree. That would be. You're s- still going to have, like, Price around. You're still going to have all these other guys around. That would be so ridiculous, Faith, if they fired him after one season. One year. That's not fair. Joe Girardi, 06, Marlins, one season, manager of the year, fired. Now, that's only because the owner in Miami is insane. But that being said, you're going to fire a manager after one year is not a fair opportunity, period. There's no doubt about it. So if you're going to fire a manager off of one season, are we really talking about firing the manager if Detroit doesn't make the playoffs? You kidding? Come on. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't buy that at all. If Detroit doesn't make the playoffs, it's for a couple of reasons. A, their bullpen sucks because they have no excuse because they have every starting pitcher in the book. And next year, folks, their their starting rotation will not be this good. It won't. You have an Anibal Sanchez. And people tell me, Fino, Anibal Sanchez is your guy. I fought with a lot of people that Anibal Sanchez is the best Tiger pitcher. And they were like, at the time. At the time. And my response to those people were, and you know who you are. And my response to those people were, let's see if it lasts a season. And it hasn't because he's been on the DL. The guy is a band-aid, and, there's, and, and, and that's what he is. But when he is healthy, he is great. Justin Verlander is not what he used to be. Over. And I tried to give him the benefit of the doubt, but he is not even hitting his velocity. He's got a sore shoulder. That very, that very well might go down as one of the worst contracts in Detroit Tigers history. And for all you folks that thought, Prince Fielder, Prince Fielder's contract was bad. Wait until you see Justin Verlander's. Because if Justin Verlander keeps doing what he's doing, hands down, worst contract Detroit has ever seen. No doubt about it. So, I don't know. So you want to talk about this Tiger rotation? Fine. It's not going to be as good next year. Bullpen-wise, they're terrible. Let's go to the calls. we got a caller on line one. This is Fino. Welcome to the Pact. Who is calling? What up, Fino? This is Tony Garcia, your Detroit Tigers reporter. How you doing, boss? <laughs> Tone, what's going on, bro? Not a whole lot. I'm just uh I've just been overhearing a little bit of a little bit of Brad Ausmus talk, a little yeah. bit of Justin Verlander, and I, I felt uh, I felt the need to give my two cents. No doubt. What do you got for us? Absolutely. Well, first things first on, on the most recent topic with Justin Verlander. Yeah. I'll start with my, my little bit of bias. I love J- I love my man JV. However, that could be a potentially terrible contract. It's awful. However, it's been it's been it's been one one rough season. Last year, he was the, he was even though it, it took until around September for Justin Verlander to really hit his stride in the playoffs, he was leaps and bounds far and above the best pitcher. Not just on the on the Tigers rotation in the entire postseason. I agree with you. And, I agree with that a hundred percent. But you understand where I'm, where I'm coming from, and we might not even get to see that because the Tigers, if the see, if the postseason starts tomorrow, they're not in the postseason, so we won't even get to see how dynamic this guy is in the postseason. Certainly, and that's that's a valid concern. But it's it's August. We got a month and a half left, and the Tigers have been playing terrible baseball. Yes, five hundred baseball for three months, and. Trying to trying to diagnose it as this, that, or the other thing. It's there, there's no one problem. When we hit, we don't pitch. When we pitch, we don't hit. And when a little bit of both is going on, we'll make some stupid errors. Have you ever seen a major league team drop as many pop flies as the Tigers have in the last two weeks? Because I certainly have not. No, they've it's, been playing it's, sloppy it's baseball. Little, it's little league problems. It's pop up communication. Look, it's it's inexplicable. T- t- there's no doubt about it. But l- look at their upcoming schedule in August. At Tampa, 
at Minnesota, home to the Yankees, going to the White Sox. And the reason why I'm saying that August is tough for Detroit because they haven't shown that they can beat the, that. They haven't shown they can beat the Yankees all the year. The Yankees are the kryptonite. They cannot beat Chicago. Minnesota toss-up. And then you have at Tampa. Who knows? But then you look at their September. They're playing Kansas City twice. They're playing San Francisco. They're again playing Chicago with Minnesota. I can't see how they get it done. This team, if they don't correct stuff, Tony, this team will not make the playoffs. But you got to look at least those ballparks are all hitters' ballparks, which is at least gives us something to be positive about. And also you get the Royals twice. So you get, if they're still playing hot as they are, you're going to be right under them or right above them. So you kind of control your own fate. There's the key, John. And you know something? I don't know if everybody remembers back in 2009, the Detroit Tigers were up three games on the Minnesota Twins with three left in the season. If the Tigers won the game or Minnesota lost, the Tigers had a playoff spot clinched. They lose three consecutive to the basement dweller Royals. Minnesota sweeps their series, and then Detroit has to play game 163 in Minnesota. So I'm saying three games out with three left seems impossible. One and a half out with 50 left, let's not call the season dead yet. We were calling them World Series champs when they were 27 and 12. Let's go both ways. Uh, I wasn't saying that, certainly. And guess what? A lot of people are talking about the Detroit team. And let me ask you this, Tom, before we let you go. If Detroit doesn't make the playoffs, do you fire the manager? I don't think so. I I was listening to what you were saying earlier, and and you hit the nail on the head. It's certainly a bust. you got to throw blame somewhere. That doesn't mean you blow up the team and start over. I agree. Um, It's kind of like it was like Jason Kidd with the Nets. It was kind of a question, why are you throwing a rookie manager with a talented like veteran team? It doesn't totally seem to add up, which is why they were looking at a more of a Dusty Baker type. But I still love Brad Austin. The, the way the Tigers play baseball now, and the small ball and, and Davis and stealing and all these things, it's the right way. It's just it's gonna, it's taking some time, and it's really hard to watch. There's no doubt about it, Tom. Times. Thanks so much for the call. We really do appreciate it. Absolutely, anytime, Chino. Yep, that's Tony uh, Garcia, our little Tigers reporter. He's the host of Tigers Talk here at WDBM uh, Impact Sports Radio. And, you know, a couple things were said. And, you know, I'm so curious, Faith, because everyone was saying that Brad Awesome is so good looking. He is very good looking. I'm not (laughs) going to deny that. Yeah, okay, fine. But where are those people coming out now? They're not, you know, they're hiding because their team is playing so bad. And, you know, here's the interesting thing. I do agree the blame has to go somewhere, but it's not going to go on the manager. No, I mean, it's the guys playing out on the field. Guys, you got to remember this, Faith. When they traded away, when they traded away their center fielder, Austin Jackson, they didn't have a replacement. They gambled and said, we're going to pick the chips out of this basket and move it to that basket. Even though this chip stack is a little low, this one's a little higher, and we're hoping they'll quit. And guess what? It has not. Because they're overexposed in the outfield, in my opinion, and they don't lack a center fielder. See, I personally think it's all on offense. I mean, it, my, I mean, Austin Jackson to me, Faith is a guy, and I know he wasn't contributing mm-hmm. offensively, but he is still someone you want to keep around. And he, that, that is a guy. But like you said, they took that gamble. They had to give up some people in order to get Price, and that's what they needed at the time. And and Price, Price is your best pitcher right now, so yeah. And people are like, "Where was he on Friday night? He went over five. And I said, "You know what?" He will come around, but the problem is Austin Jackson is still a center fielder, and they don't have a they don't have anyone to replace him. And yes, I agree. Is David Price your best pitcher right now? I disagree. But well, pit, statistically, he is the past couple starts. He's the best one out there, I think. Yeah, but I still you can argue that other guys have more talent and they might come around. That's but, not what I'm saying. I'm saying Max Scherzer is just better. I'd rather have Max Scherzer. Can can you can you even argue that? Well, they're both. Over the last two starts, I would still It's apple and oranges at this point. Because but they're they're, t- they pitched against totally different teams. It's hard to compare. But, yes, right. they're both good pitchers. And one of them won't even be on the team next year. Most likely. Is anyone Does anyone out there think <laughs> that Max Scherzer will be a Tiger next year? I'm curious to know. Watch him just throw a curveball and sign, like, a less deal than he even shut down. That would be ridiculous. Like that. No, he won't. <laughs> if you think Max Scherzer will be a Tiger next year, feel free to call in, 517-432-3893. Because if you think he – I'm going to make something – Whoever calls in, okay, right now. Okay. Yeah, this is big. <laughs> Whoever calls it and tells me, you know, Fino, Max Scherzer will be a Tiger next year. And if you have the balls to do that and call in. And a valid reason. And a valid reason. 
again, I will make a $40 donation to a charity of your choice. Oh, I like if, it. If, 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 if he stays in Detroit next year. That's a and you have to come up with a valid reason. Forty dollars <laughs> charity with your charity of your choice. ALS maybe the ice bucket challenge. Yes. We'll have to get John in studio to do it. <laughs> but if you have the cojones to do that, call in. Give me a valid reason, and he stays in the Tigers. John will write it down. We'll make a donation for you if he stays in Detroit. I think it's great. Great idea. <laughs> but that is a great idea. But more importantly, a better idea, Faith. Ice bucket challenge. So we're trying to get John to do it. You said you have a nifty idea coming up. I mean, I do have a nifty idea. I'm not going to share it on air because right. I don't want people to steal my idea. But I did get nominated by one of my good friends, okay. Colin McDonald. And uh, I will be doing it, I promise you. But I have something up my sleeve for it. Well, you heard it here. Faith <laughs> has something up her sleeve for the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge. If you are doing the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge, let us know on air. Let me know how you do it or did it because I'm trying to think of something creative myself. We'll take a quick break here on The Pact. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Notre Dame academic scandal, Brian Kelly's take on this investigation, and what it means for Notre Dame football in South Bend. Keep it here on WDBM Impact Radio. You're listening to The Pact on 88.9 FM, WDBM East Lansing. For some high school students, school can be a dangerous place. A lot of gamers look at you as a game member, too. For some, just being in school can be a struggle. I wouldn't go to school. I didn't care about what my mom said. My mom would tell me, like, what are you doing for yourself? You're not doing nothing. But despite all the obstacles, inside every high school student is a graduate. People look down on you if you don't have a diploma. I want to graduate because they say I won't. Go to BoostUp.org and find out how you can help a friend, a son, a daughter finish high school. BoostUp.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Tuesday nights from 8 until midnight, the Impact's Progressive Torch and Twang brings you the best in alternative country and grassroots music. Only on Impact Primetime. You're listening to coverage of Spartan sports like never before as we embrace the Spartan debate here on The Pact. That is right. Fino, mahalo for listening and aloha. Welcome back to The Pact, the only sports show on campus that brings you the most student involvement from the basement of Holden Hall. 7.28 Eastern Time here in East Lansing, Michigan. The weather is pretty nice, Faith. No rainstorms, none of that. It's a beautiful day outside, and it was a beautiful day for flying, I'll tell you that. Not really a lot of turbulence, and I can't stand turbulence. Who likes turbulence, though? Uh, no one. No Pilots. one. Exactly. So <laughs> wait, what? What'd you say? Pilots. Pilots. I don't know. <laughs> maybe that gives it's them like a th- driving in the rain gives you a little something to do. Give them a thrill. And maybe you don't really do anything once you're up there. You just put it on cruise control and sit. That is true. Well, we're bringing our second segment here on the pact, and it is the Notre Dame academic scandal. That is right. It is another scandal ripping the campus of Notre Dame in South Bend, Indiana, and realistically. Friday, some news broke down in South Bend that John Yales, if you haven't heard of it by now, you most likely have been living under a rock in the sports world. But don't worry, lo and behold, our producer John Yales will give you a quick synopsis of what went down on Friday. Well, basically Friday, um, Notre Dame came out and they said a couple days ago that they had noticed that they got a complaint about um, academic fraud by some athletes and some other students. And Friday they came out and said the four names of the football players who are on the team right now, two of them are basically the top returning wide receiver and the top returning cornerback. And then you have a lineman and a linebacker who are both were dismissed um, or removed from the team. No one's exactly sure what that exactly means, if they're gone forever, if they can come back, if this is a suspension thing. But they were removed from the program, so not practicing, nothing like that because of academic fraud. And this is all after Everett Golston, who was the starting quarterback, um, a few years ago has now come back and Brian Kelly has already announced him as the starting QB come August 30th against Rice. Um, so people are starting to question um, what's going on at Notre Dame, what Brian Kelly knew. Brian Kelly said he was shocked he didn't know anything. Um, so a lot of questions coming out of South Bend. I'll tell you something right now. If you didn't think Brian Kelly knew about some of these allegations before they broke, you're delusional. Because I think, especially at a campus like Notre Dame, and a coach like Brian Kelly is, he's an all-hands-on-deck head coach. 
And to me, if you're saying that he had no idea, and if he says he had no idea about the scandal, I mean, he's lying to you. And in my opinion, he'd be lying to us as well. Because someone like him, he's got to, got to have a firm grasp of his program and what his football players are doing. It's almost like saying, Mark, if an academic scandal broke out in Michigan State, you think Mark D'Antonio would have no idea that it's going on? Very hard to believe. And Faith, you know Mark D'Antonio personally. Sounds pretty tough to fathom that he would ever permit and even know about a scandal and it just breaks. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I can't assume that would just take him by surprise like that. And, I mean, Notre Dame is a very good school. And they pride I, themselves on yeah. their academic, you know, Absolutely. and their honesty and their integrity. Mm-hmm. And it's it's going to take a big blow, not not only to their school, but their athletics and everything like that. But I'd find out very, very hard to imagine that the coach didn't know anything about it before it actually came out. There's no doubt about it, because to me, I think th- who is the biggest loss here? I mean, it doesn't matter. They're losing a lot of legitimate players. But coming off a season that you suspend your starting quarterback, Everett Golston, coming off a national title game against Bama. Now, they did get smoked by Alabama, but just think about that. You're coming off a national title, and now you're having five academic scandals or investigations of players since your national title? Talk about regressing and going backwards. But this is a big example of that. I think a lot of people, um, you know, just see Notre Dame as this very high, highly acclaimed school. But it's just it just seems like Notre Dame is just like everybody else. Because I'd assume that it happens at every university. And I'm, I can assume that it happens probably at Michigan State, too. There's no doubt about it. It occurs at every single institution. And I have no evidence to prove that. I'm completely speculating. And I know I will get a lot of criticism for that statement. Well, I, I assume that, too. I think every institution engages in some type of academic dishonesty to an extent. But you have to remember, too, Faith. All these athletes at all these NCAA big-time Power 5, we were talking about Power 5 last week, the money that's in football, they need to keep them as eligible as as eligible as possible, whether that's giving them special tutors, special student-athlete academic centers, special classes, special scheduling, whatever they can do to keep these student-athletes eligible, they will do whatever it takes. And they have shown that, and universities have done that, because... It's very sad, John, that you will see a lot of universities turn the other way just to make a better more, face for the for the athletes, right? Make more face for the athletes and make more money. And I think it's disgraceful. Yeah, I think some proof that you kind of said yeah, there's no proof. I think back uh what a year ago or a few months ago with Oklahoma State when that came out and there's a huge report by SI um, kind of broke and everyone was just kind of like, yeah, we kind of expect that kind of everywhere in the country. It's not that big of a deal that people are cheating, that there's sex, that there's drugs at all these places. Like this is just kind of commonplace and this is the NCAA. Let me ask you this. Did did anything happen from that Oklahoma State scandal? What do you mean? Did uh, w- What were the ramifications? I, I think they, yeah, the point is you never heard of any ramifications. You don't know what happened. They handle it internally. Well, because most of it was I think hearsay. Well, yeah, but it was also too far back in the past that you can't be charged for it. I agree, but but that's a point. People that's were, why everyone was willing to talk. People about were talking. I agree, John. But people were talking about academic dishonesty at Oklahoma State for years. And if you think Oklahoma State's the only school, Oklahoma, Oklahoma just suspended their, their running back Nixon today. That's what I'm saying. It's it's commonplace. No one is surprised anymore that a kid gets in trouble for it. Notre Dame, maybe five, ten years ago, that would have been a huge deal. It was, yeah, it was a big deal, but it was just a press conference on ESPN saying people cheated in classes again. Like, I, I mean, I understand. That was my feeling, at least. Oklahoma suspending Joe Mixon, which you have to, you know, applaud them for doing. But let's be honest. He's a freshman. He's a highly recruited guy. But at the end of the day, is he going to have that big of an impact? Maybe some of an impact, but he is not going to make or break him getting into that playoff. And that makes me wonder, Faith, if a big-time player and any of these programs – would be suspended and prohibited them from making this inaugural playoff? Think about the payout and the cash and all the benefits that these athletes can make. I don't think a university is making that suspension. See, I I would hope that universities would because that would just show their integrity and you know their actual values. But like you said, it's a lot about money nowadays. And so if that athlete's going to bring them in revenue and uh, a bigger name for their university, then they're going to keep that guy around. It's sickening and sad that we're talking about this, that an athlete we're talking about and. You know, you said it last week, if I can recall, that you were like, it's so disappointing that, guess what, Faith? It's really all about yeah, the that, money. Yes. And that's what it's about. 
Because and, obviously academic value is going down. It doesn't matter as it much It doesn't anymore. matter. These students are not going to make an education. They're not going to make a name for themselves. They are going to make the university money, make themselves money, and showcase them to the NFL. That's what it now, is. Now, I do have a question for you because, you know, Notre mm-hmm. Dame's coach, you know, Brian Kelly, he would pitch. His pitch was always make that 40-year decision because he's talking about a great education from Notre Dame, the alumni that are around Notre Dame and that can help, you know, students there and everything like that. Yeah. Um, do you think it's going to affect not only the school and the program or what do you like what do you foresee? To me this would affect the school. Okay. But the program, no. Because Notre Dame is still making big time bucks. They have their own T V deal. They're the only think about it. It's the big five plus Notre Dame. Notre Dame has a pass because they are on this they are on this mantle of the greats, of the all-time greats, that no one is going to shut them the wrong way. Now, you want to talk about them as an institution academically? They're going to be hampered by this. See, I, I kind of disagree. I mean, I do think it's going to hurt the um, institution itself. But 63% of players that have signed at Notre Dame under Kelly have been four or five-star rated players, and they've got a good recruiting class coming in soon. But my thing is that a lot of other coaches are going to start pitching that Notre Dame, you know, you might not be able to keep up with the grades. Obviously, you saw these other athletes couldn't balance doing the grades as well as being on the football team. They're going to try to pitch. They're going to put Notre Dame down. so. Yeah, so I, I do think it will affect the program. I know uh, locally Michigan State doesn't, doesn't engage in negative recruiting because that's – a lot of schools do engage in negative recruiting, but I'll say this. I find it very, and I have no evidence for this, I find it very hard to believe that if those athletes weren't playing football, that Notre Dame would be th- that interested in their academics. I, that, that's the point I'm trying to make. I think it depends also, to answer Faye's question, that it depends on kind of who was involved in this, if this was tutors doing it for the students, if this was the students kind of working themselves, because there were other non-athletes involved in this, or at least non-football players. Wasn't it where people already where people wrote the papers for these guys? Yeah, so mm-hmm. I don't know exactly. You need the more details to see if it's like an institutional thing where a football program or an athletic program or some type of school facility was actually involved in the whole we don't know. organization, because that changes things, because like, Back, I don't know if you guys remember, like 2012, there was the Harvard cheating scandal where some of the fo- or some of the basketball players got stuck in it, and it was like 125 students in like a government yep. class cheated. Does anyone think of Harvard any less because of that? No, no. I think I think that's the same thing with Notre Dame. People are going to think, oh, it's a football thing, it's an NCAA thing, it's an athletics thing, because and, they'll, you know and pe- they'll forget about it, and they'll still remember Notre Dame as a great school. Because you know what people think, John? This is what people will say, and this is what people said about that Harvard scandal. Those kids are playing basketball, and if they weren't playing athletics, they would not be admitted into our institution. And that's the same mentality that they are going to take on Notre Dame. And that's not what I think, but that is what people are going to say about this instance. That is what people are going to say, that if these students weren't engaged in athletics and they had such high praise from Brian Kelly or whomever it was, Mike Bray, because we knew a basketball player, Grant, was involved in this. If you're playing for Coach Bray, if you're playing for Coach Kelly— and those two guys have pull at the university. If you're not playing athletics, Notre Dame cuts you. If if Everett Golston did what he did and wasn't the star quarterback for the national championship game for Notre Dame in 2012, he is dis- he is expelled from the university. But because of what he is and the connections these athletes have with the coaches and with the program, they get a pass and they'll continue to get a pass. That's the end of the story. They will always get a pass. Just like UNC gave a pass to their athletes. Tons of schools give pass. USC gave passes to their athletes. Miami did this. University of Miami. All the big-time schools do this because it's about the money and making money, and it's about this one thing called money. But you get a pass until you get caught, and that's what Notre Dame just got. They got caught. Twice. Yeah. But the, the thing is, you would figure that if Everett Golson gets caught coming off a national championship – Oh, this is going to stop. We're going to send a message. We're going to suspend our quarterback for a whole year. They didn't dismiss him from the program, John, because if he wasn't engaged in football, they dismiss him from the school, expelled without a doubt, because that's academic dishonesty. But the fact that he's ever Golston, you'll just suspend you. This will blow by. People forget about it. You can be our quarterback next year, and we can go back to the promised land where, where we just were before we got smoked by Nick Saban. My point is this. If these athletes aren't do, playing football, basketball, and whatever, 
They're expelled from the school. It's not worth it to the school. But the only reason why they're worth it to the school is because they're making them millions of dollars. And that's the way the school looks at it. Let's use these kids because they're making us tons of money, even though this this disobeying and being disobedient to what the university is about and the academic policy, we could ignore that, look the other way because of the bottom line. I mean, it would tell a lot about the university if they did end up just not letting them come back to the team. You want a power move if they would have kicked off Everett Golson off the team. That's a power that move. That would have been very big. Your starting quarterback on the national championship game, you kick him off the team, that's power. Well, I think they'll be forced to make some type of example out of these ones because now your starting quarterback was basically charged for the same thing, and he's going to be out there parading in front of every single team you play across NBC on the in the whole country. So it's always going to be a conversation. So I think they're going to probably want to make a pretty big example out of these four. And it was very And if they don't, it's going to be – it's going to fall it's, on Notre Dame's shoulders. It's going to come down hard on them. On Kelly, as not a good recruiter, bringing in troubled guys. He's had guys in the past have to lead the program. It's going to come down on the university. Is Notre Dame just letting anyone in? I mean, in? Brian Kelly has a history of this. Yeah, he that's does. another question. Brian Kelly has a history of this, and this says a lot about Brian Kelly. Has Is Brian Kelly being negligent? And just focusing more on like the athletic ability rather than— Of course than, he is. Yeah. Of course he is. Now, I don't know Brian Kelly personally. I'm sure he's a great man. He's a great. He's a hell of a football coach. He deserves every dollar he's making from every university that he's coached for, and that he gets from Notre Dame. But I'll say this: he's being negligent over these instances, and there's no doubt about it. And guess what? If you're having the success he's having, and if you're making the money he's making, and if you're making the university the money he's making for them, you can understand why he has every right to be negligent. I don't agree with the fact, but I'm just saying. Put yourself in his shoes. You're making millions of dollars. You're making the university millions of dollars. Why should I care about this when this is making us money and we're winning? Because winning cures everything. If they would, I guarantee you this. If they would have won that national title game against Alabama, Golston doesn't get suspended for the whole season. And that's a bold statement. We'll never know kind of ordeal. But guess what? Winning talks in any sport, and you saw it with this O'Bannon ruling, that NCAA is moving away from amateurism. They want these kids to be compensated. And if you want to treat them like athletes and like professionals, that's not a way to do it because that's putting academics second to athletics, and that's the way the Power Five is moving, period. And if you want to move forward in this, you're going to have to make a stance. Notre Dame attempted to make a stance, but guess what? No one gives a crap because when it comes down to it, they had the opportunity to make a chance last season and to kick off Everett Golson off the team permanently, but they suspended him for a season figuring everyone forget because Notre Dame did not forget one thing, that the success they had in 2012, they were undefeated going into that game in Southern Florida. Everyone was high on Notre Dame. They were making tons of money, and Lou Holtz was screaming Notre Dame fight song the whole time on ESPN. So here's the bottom line, and this is your takeaway from this. If you're Notre Dame, you don't care about this. You blow, you make what you need to make now, and you blow this off and hoping people will forget, just like people have already forgotten about Everett Golston. But if you're Notre Dame, you're praying this bros over pretty quickly because this says a lot about your program, and this says a lot about your academics and your institution, and more importantly, it reflects super poorly on Brian Kelly. Super poorly. We'll take a quick break here on the pack. When we come back, we'll talk a little Detroit Lions, their second preseason game against the Raiders in Oakland. We'll talk about Dan Orlovsky's resurrection in the preseason. Keep it here on WDBM Impact Radio. You're listening to The Packs on 88.9 FM, WDBM, East Lansing. Smoking Helpline. Yes, I need to start smoking right away. Excuse me? I need to start smoking. Well, actually, it's the Stop Smoking Helpline. The people in the apartment next to mine smoke three packs a day, and it drives me crazy. So I'm thinking four packs will do it. I think you want MySmokeFreeApartment.org. It gives you the information you need to work toward a smoke-free apartment building. A smoke-free building? Without all that smoking? Uh, yeah, that's right. Make your apartment smoke-free without making a stink. MySmokeFreeApartment.org. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Wednesday nights from 8 until midnight, it's the Impact's Accidental Blues, your source for great blues music, news, and concert information. Only on Impact Primetime. 
Hola, my name is Esperanza. After a tragic incident, I was forced from a life of riches in Mexico to a life of poverty in the United States. My mother has become ill and we have become separated from our family. Now I must work for both of us to try to bring the rest of our family together. My name is Esperanza and I am trying to survive. Explore new worlds. Read my story in the novel Esperanza Rising by Pam Muñoz Ryan. For other great book ideas, visit your local library or log on to literacy.gov. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. And now back to the pact here on 88.9 FM. That is right. Your host, Fino. Welcome back to the pact. Mahalo and aloha. Welcome back here on the pact. 745 Eastern Time, taking you all the way to the top of the hour, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, where Lee Seon and the crew and the Asian Music Show will take you all the way to the 10 o'clock hour. So we bring in our... Third and final segment here on the pack, Faith, along with John Yales here. And we're talking about the Lions preseason game against the Oakland Raiders. Come on, Faith. You got to say it. <laughs> I can it. do it as well as you can. <laughs> okay. I'm trying to get my inner Chris Merriman from ESPN.com. So we're talking Lions here. And to me, it's the resurrection, I guess, of Dan Orlovsky, right? Just kidding. But the real t- the real topic of this game, in my opinion, is Matt Stafford. Nine for 10, 88 yards, two touchdowns. 142.9 passer rating. Excellent game for Matt Stafford. If Stafford gives you that and makes great decisions, Faith, this team has some hope. And a lot of people are being so pessimistic about the Lions. I'm being a realist about the Lions. Okay? They play the AFC East this year. So the Lions have a lot of opportunity to win games this year. Okay? I think the Lions are going to win eight games. That's what I honestly think they're going to win. Because I think they lose too many crappy games they should win. But I'll tell you one thing. The Lions do have potential to win 11 games. Because the schedule they play. They play the Bills. They play the Patriots. They play the Jets. They play the Dolphins. An easy division. Now here's my thing. If Matt Stafford gets injured, you are in trouble. And I don't know if you're on a fast track to be one of the worst teams in the NFL. But you're on a fast track to be one of the worst teams in the NFL. So basically what I'm saying is... This team is cringing on Matt Stafford's health, and I think he's tough as nails. I think Matt Stafford is one of the toughest quarterbacks in the NFL. I would kind of disagree. I mean, Why? he's been plagued with a lot of injuries and stuff. That doesn't mean he's not tough. Uh, okay, I can. I can. I can that's talking that. about his durability. Yeah, I think he's tough. He went out there with a separated shoulder and attempted to win a game. I guess it was the Browns. He won the game. He won. It was, <laughs> well, it against, the field goal won the game, but he threw the touchdown. Was it against the Browns? Yes, it was against the Browns. Yeah, he he separated, went off, fought to get back in, went in. You should have seen NFL. This is why I love. You know, rest in peace, Steve Sable, but NFL Films, and thank you for NFL Films for showing us that moment, but in all seriousness. So when it comes down to it, I think Matt Stafford is going to be your key to this season. Dan Arlovsky giving you some 8 for 12 action. I know, you know, a lot of people were talking. I I mean, I'm even one to talk. Last show, I was saying, Arlovsky, really? Like, should he be the second uh, string quarterback? I I still think it should be Kellen Moore. Well, well, but that's one thing. But like you said, Arlovsky, 8 for 12 passes, 153 yards, QB rating of 109.7. Very good. Um, Even though they lost, he completed 8 consecutive passes, scored 10 points on his his. Four drives. And Eric Ebron, well, w- welcome to the big show. You're actually getting us receptions. Two receptions, 36 yards. So with all the weapons at Matt Stafford's disposal, because you, you're just going to be negligent and forget about, completely just forget about the defense. I don't know what Coach Cooter told him. I don't know what Coach Caldwell told Matt Stafford. But this offense, if it clicks like the way it did it, I know it was the Raiders and they lost, but – if they click the way they did against Oakland, this team has a chance to be successful. With that being said, let's go to the lines. Who do we got here? Welcome to the pack, Fino. Hey, what's up, Fino? This is Michael Iger calling. Iger. What's going on, pal? How you doing? Not too bad. Better than the Lions. Looked way better this past weekend. Yeah, I've got to agree with you. Uh, even though they came out with the loss, uh, the yeah, first team did look really much improved from where they were last week. So... Uh, I saw a lot of great stuff coming out of that Raiders game. I saw a lot of stuff, and more importantly, my boy Nate Freeze. I love him. Yeah, I love him. You know, Nate Freeze. He, he had a great moment, and then also a pretty negative moment with that. Uh, he missed an extra point. Now, if you remember, they were actually testing out a new rule. Yeah, that's why thirty-three yards. That's why I didn't bring that up because they're going to move that in. It's not going to be that. Yeah, it's, 
It's not going to be the that long. The point is going to be in the regular season from where it usually is. Yeah, they're just testing it out. That's why I don't put any substance to it. But he had a 55-yarder. It looked pretty good. He did make that 55-yarder. And so I guess what the Lions are going to be looking at is who they're going to, who is going to be kicking who's going to be. And they did use that draft pick on Cruz, and that's why I still think they're going to beat out uh, Georgia. Zach also has looked very consistent this preseason. And yeah. so the question is, do you go with the guy – who missed the 38-yard field goal, even though it was an extra point, or do you go with Tavecchio? And if you remember, that extra point was actually the difference maker in the game. The Lions lost by a point. So. Uh, but it's preseason, and this is why I don't yeah. put any substance to that. My opinion, Nate Freeze will be your starting kicker, A. B, the reason why I don't put a lot of substance to that extra point that essentially lost in the game was, A, it's preseason, B, the extra point is not going to be 33 yards or whatever it is. It's not going to be that long. If anything, it'll be 20, 20 something yards, but I think we'll be back where it used to be. But, you know, but to take away everything from the special teams, and I love special teams, to me, whatever Coach Cooter and whatever Coach Caldwell said to Matt Stafford, uh, keep it there because Stafford gave you a great game and overall quarterback play has been good this past game. Matt Stafford is your key, Higer. I've been saying this on air. I've been telling people wherever it be, Dublin Square, P.F. Chang, wherever I've been talking football, the point is, if Matt Stafford is not healthy with every single jack-of-all-trades on the offense, with every single weapon at his disposal, if the Lions are not successful with this offense, uh, maybe time to reconsider your quarterback. Yeah, and I mean, like you said, the team is centered around the quarterback, Matthew Stafford. And you have to remember... He is just a couple of years away removed from being called one of the more injury prone quarterbacks in the NFL. So he has been he's had a couple luckily healthy seasons these past couple of seasons. But you look at this preseason game, nine for ten, eighty eight yards, hooked up with Golden Tate for a touchdown which looked great. Which looked looked good, Durham. So you have to remember they put a lot of they put a lot of money and a lot of draft picks also into targets for Matthew Stafford, drafting Eric Ebron with that first-round pick, and picking up Golden Tate, throwing him a lot of money. So this team really is centered around Matthew Stafford, and the coaching staff is focusing on that. No doubt about it, Hiker. But let me ask you this, okay? And I know you mentioned it with his, him being injury-prone. But you can talk about his durability. But if you're going to sit and tell me, not that you have, but if Lion fans are going to sit and tell me, Fino... Matt Stafford is not a tough quarterback. He's glass. I would I, I would say you're lying. I think he's tough as nails. I just think his durability is in question. Because to me, toughness and durability are two different things. I'm curious to know if you agree. Yeah, I completely do agree. And that, you mentioned that Browns game from a couple of years ago. Oh, it was an awesome game. That game. And listening back to the NFL films, uh, they had Stafford speak up. Uh, speakered up in that game. Yeah, he's Mike. He told the coaches, I'm coming back in. He had a bum shoulder. He threw the game-winning touchdown. A couple expletives in there. And durability are two different aspects. I mean, are you going to tell me that after Peyton Manning missed an entire season a couple of years ago, are you going to tell me he's not tough? Yeah, he's tough, but there's a difference between toughness and durability. I'm not worried about Stafford's toughness. It's the durability that still worries me because, yes, he's been healthy the last couple of years, but I'm looking back at those couple of years before that, and he was quite injury prone. So he was. I don't know if your body can just all of a sudden not be made of glass, but we'll see. My big thing is with Matthew Staff, and we're talking with Michael Heiger, the host of Lions Den here on WDBM. Uh, you know, Heiger, I'm very curious to know you, what you what you have to say about this. And real quick here before we let you go, the NFC North is a Really tough, tough, grueling gridiron division. Lambeau, Soldier Field, and now Minnesota's outside. Tough environment. They're going to have to go play at a lot of cold places. Yes, they play Arizona. They play New Orleans. They play Atlanta. They play New England. Tough schedule for these Lions if they're going to expect to make the playoffs, huh? Oh, it absolutely is a very tough schedule. And what worries me is the Lions secondary going against some of these offenses. The Bears and the Packers loaded up. With wide receivers. I don't I don't know how they're going to defend Alshon Jeffrey and Brandon Marshall. And then the next week, go to Green Bay in the frozen tundra and go and get Jordy Nelson or Randall Cobb with Aaron Rodgers, probably one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Yeah. And I'm looking at this schedule right now, and it worries me because you have to go against Tom Brady. You have to go against Drew Brees. It's going to be a very, very, very tough road for the Lions. I mean, playoffs. And as much as, as I'd like to be optimistic and say, yeah, they have a shot at winning 10 or 11 games. 
you break it down by, game by game on this schedule, it's going to be a very tough road to make it there. It's going to be really, really difficult. Quarterbacks like Matt Ryan, Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Carson Palmer, and I mentioned Carson because he won 11 games last year, Aaron Rodgers, Jay Cutler, two-time Super Bowl MVP quarterback Eli Manning. It's a tough schedule, Higer, and not to mention they go to Carolina Week 2. Higer, thanks for joining the show, brother. Yeah, absolutely. You got it, Higer. And that's Michael Higer, the host of Lions Den here on Impact Sports. Faith, he brings a lot of insight, but you can understand why Lion fans are going to be very skeptical about Matt Stafford, his durability with this schedule that is a tough, tough schedule. Now, I wanted to ask you, why do you think they lost this game to the Raiders? Uh, I mean, I look, it's just, to me... You can't put much substance in the preseason because who cares? It's preseason. When I look at it, Faith, the third preseason game to me is the biggest game because that's when all your starters play three quarters. So that game I judge three quarters. The outcome in preseason I don't take much out of. I look at what I saw from the starters. And to me, if Matt Stafford – I understand it was against the Raiders, Faith, but good quarterbacks beat terrible teams. And what he did was he eviscerated a terrible team. But the thing is, when you look at the schedule that he has in front of him in this 2014 season, there are not too many terrible teams this year. And they open up against the Giants at home. The Giants are looking very suspect. If they drop that game to the Giants, and the Giants are a team that can sneak up on you and just steal a win. Because I mentioned Eli Manning. He's a jack-of-all-trades. You don't know what you're going to get with the guy. But if they lose that game at home, Monday night game as well, against the Giants, I can't see where they're squeezing out 10 games here. I really can't because you do play the AFC East, which is a somewhat easier division, but still, Faith, you're going to New England, and then I know I'm going out of division here. Huh. You play New Orleans. You go to Atlanta. You go, obviously, to Chicago twice, Green Bay twice. It's tough. And you go to Arizona. Indoor, team that won 11 games that should have made the playoffs that did not. It's a tough schedule, no doubt. No, I definitely, I mean, I wanted to gauge your interest in what you thought about that game, though, just because, okay. for me, I saw penalties was one of the biggest things oh, that killed okay. the Lions. I, I mean, I, they got flagged 11 times. Okay, I see For 74, 74 yards. I, okay, here's a That's couple. what I was. <laughs> yeah, okay, sorry. I was curious to know what you were angling at. Now I, now I fully understand. Um, a little concerning, but not too much. It is concerning on a disciplinary, in a disciplinary front, but not too much because a lot of the penalties came, in my opinion, in the second half. Mm-hmm. That's really where they came down from. You and usually when you get a lot of guys fighting for jobs, these rookies, these you know second, these third stringers, they're trying to make a team fade. And we're getting to crunch time. And I don't know if you watch Hard Knocks on HBO. The Atlanta Falcons a great show, but they really zone in with cameras and an inside look on training camps. This year happened to be the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah. So that being said, you get the inside scoop of how hard these guys are competing. And John, I don't know if you watch Hard Knocks. You see that there's a fight. Almost every week or every episode in in Hard Knocks for that Falcons camp. You know, I don't put a lot of substance to the penalties in a preseason game because you just have guys fighting for jobs. <laughs> John's. Yeah. Yeah, John has no idea. Oh, well, we'll get that fixed up. Well, I. Okay. Yeah, John's saying he agrees. So, no doubt about it. He's nodding his head. Fino is always right on that one. There's no doubt about it. So, just point be said. That was. Very interesting. But anyway, so wrapping it up here very quickly, Faith. Curious to know, you got your third preseason game if you're the Lions. You understand you're playing Jacksonville at home. It's a game I think they're going to destroy Jacksonville. But not bad game if you're Detroit. You're looking to win this game because your starters will be playing for three quarters. No, yeah, I'm excited to see that. I'm also excited to see how the rookies will play just because, I mean, we got Ebron and Van Noy. We've seen some really good things from both of them, good potential. The other two, I'm not so sure of the third round, um, Swanson and fourth round that they picked up Lawson. They haven't, we haven't seen much of them so far. So I'm excited to see how they'll do in this th- third game. Breaking news that John Yale's just, go, uh, just gave to me here in a press release. Now, there's no doubt about it because – John, have you seen the video? I don't know if you've ever seen the video. From no, him. I never. I didn't yeah, the video that. was very gruesome. He, he he completely knocked the kid out, but the University of Michigan football team announced that tonight that sophomore wide receiver Cassante York has been dismissed from the uh, from the Wolverines. York, a sophomore, was indefinitely suspended August 3rd. He faces three charges related to a July 18th incident outside of an Ann Arbor bar in which he allegedly punched a man and broke his jaw. He didn't allegedly. He punched that he man. Did. You saw the security film. You could, they're, they're trying to be political and whatever and understanding the nature of the investigation. He punched that man. He broke that man's jaw. York faces two counts of assault or assault and battery and one count of aggravated assault. 
breaking news out of the campus of Ann Arbor. So there you go. Casante York, wide receiver, sophomore suspended. Curious to know. Faith, they win this game, but quick line. I, I'm going to ask you every week, quick lines <laughs> prediction. What do you got? You mean score-wise? No, in the season, prediction-wise. All right. Um, I can see them winning eight games. Uh, I'm not expecting much more out of them, though, to be honest. Eight games? What are you getting, John? Six and ten. Whoa! Dang, low ball. Why so pessimistic? Uh, their schedule's too hard. Something's going to go wrong. It's the Lions. They have a bad defense, and you're going you're gonna to lose against mediocre or better teams than you, and we have, I think, ten of those teams on our schedule. No doubt about it. You heard it from John Yales. I'm going to say it. I'm still going to say 8-8 eight and eight with Faith. John, 6-10. and 10. I don't know what Kool-Aid you're sipping, but it ain't the Lions. <laughs> I want to say 8-8. Eight and eight. That's my 8-8 eight and eight is my gut, but that just feels like a cop-out. It's like, yeah, we'll just be 500. It's not a cop-out because they're probably not going to be 8-8. Eight and eight. Well, that does it for us here on The Pack. For Fino, Faith, John Yales here on WDBM. An excellent show. We're debating a little Notre Dame, a little Tigers. Osmus fired? No? no probably way. not. And a little Lions talk. Keep it here. Next week, we'll be previewing the Jacksonville State game, as well as a little MSU soccer preview with men's and women's. We're hoping to have Coach Renson here in studio as well. So great. a couple things that we can preview for you. Keep it here on WDBM and Pack Radio. Elise Yoon over there in the studio next to me for the Asian Music Show. A great show. Keep it right here. Hopefully they play Gangnam Style. It's my favorite. I love that. (laughs) Right here for Fino, Faith, and John Yales. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you every Monday from 7 to 8 on WDBM Impact Radio. Mahalo, everyone.